please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm with you this morning after having spent the better part of the week gathering with United Methodists from all around Northern California and Nevada. The 2014 annual conference session of the California-Nevada Annual Conference was held in Burlingame this week with hundreds of clergy and laypeople gathered to worship, to celebrate ministries, and to conduct business. A quick moment of translation for those of you who might not speak fluent United Methodist. Annual conference means two things in the United Methodist Church. It is what we call our regional bodies, something like what would be called a synod or a presbytery in other denominations. So we are part of the California-Nevada Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. That's our geographical region. We Methodists also have an annual regional meeting a conference where we gather together from throughout our region. And that annual meeting is also called annual conference or the annual conference session. The theme for this year's annual conference session was the power of with building the beloved community. The Global United Methodist Church has defined four areas of focus for the church. And one of the four is ministry with the poor. So this year's annual conference theme was meant to relate to that. After Jesus was baptized, he went to the temple and read scripture there. He read the words you heard from our liturgist this morning about the spirit of the Lord anointing him to bring good news to the poor. And then he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus said that God sent him to bring good news to the poor, to end captivity and oppression, to share God's love. Jesus was telling those gathered that that was his mission in life, to bring good news to the poor. And the United Methodist Church uses this scripture as a foundational scripture for talking about why it matters that we be in ministry with the poor. But the annual conference theme wasn't only about being in ministry with the poor. That second part of the theme says, building the beloved community. The idea of the beloved community is most strongly associated with Martin Luther King Jr., although the origins of the idea predate him. The vision of the beloved community is really a vision of social justice, of the well-being of all persons, of a community where people find common ground and reconcile their differences. It is a vision that goes hand in hand with King's principles of nonviolence. Being in an annual conference connects us to ministries beyond our own. It connects us to the ministries of other individuals and congregations, as well as incorporating us into the work of the annual conference and of the United Methodist Church as a whole. Attending annual conference is a mixed bag, the days are long and full. I get bored by much of the business. I have a hard time sitting still for that long, which our delegates can attest to. And uh, speaking of whom, I, we owe an enormous thank you to Helen Rowland and Paul Grinch, who served us so faithfully as our delegates this year. But I am also glad 
for the glimpses of faithfulness and vibrant ministry that annual conference provides. In the midst of the business and the boredom, there are also glimpses of the beloved community. There were dozens of ways I saw glimpses of the beloved community at annual conference, but there were two central things that the annual conference organizers did to try to focus on that theme. One was that this year, conference featured the ministries and leaders of Glide Church in San Francisco, also known as Glide Memorial United Methodist Church. The church describes itself as a radically inclusive, just and loving community mobilized to alleviate suffering and break the cycles of poverty and marginalization. Our youth group spent some time there last summer on their mission trip. Glide is a historic San Francisco church that was transformed in the 1960s as a team of pastors reinvented the ministries there. That was the year that Cecil Williams came on staff as a pastor, and Cecil would proceed to stay for more than 50 years, Though technically retired, he continues to be active in leadership there. Through the 60s, the church gradually came to attract San Francisco's diverse communities of hippies and addicts, gays, the poor, and the marginalized. The church became a home for political as well as spiritual change. Glide offered a safe space to groups ranging from the Hookers Convention to the American Indian Movement to the Black Panthers. This week at annual conference, Cecil Williams described how he went to Glide, and going there, he decided he was going to relate to the poor as never before. It's interesting to think about that time juxtaposed with Glide today. Glide continues to attract the poor and marginalized and offers extensive social service programs through the Glide Foundation. But they are also, uh, they also have a certain status in the city of San Francisco. If Cecil wants to meet with the mayor of San Francisco, the mayor meets with Cecil. One of Glide's biggest annual fundraisers is auctioning off a lunch with billionaire and Glide supporter Warren Buffett. That lunch auctions off for over a million dollars each year. Maya Angelou's memorial service was held at Glide. Glide has a definite status. But in conversation this week with Glide's current senior pastor, Karen Olivito, she was very clear about the roots of that status and influence. Cecil Williams did not begin by going to the mayor or to powerful interests in San Francisco, but began with the relationships with the poor that he described to us, relating to the poor as never before. After years of direct relationships and ministry in the communities of the marginalized in San Francisco, those relationships formed such a strong network that the city had to listen. Despite Glide's powerful profile today, this role in the community was built bottom-up, not top-down. The second way our annual conference focused on the beloved community this week was to bring in Dr. Eric Law as a guest presenter. Dr. Law works in the area of diversity and the church. The focus of his work emerged as he asked himself as a Christian, how can he follow Christ's call to seek and serve Christ in every person and respect the dignity of every human being? He has developed an extensive set of tools and trainings 
to teach people how to build diverse communities by growing to understand and respect one another's differences. He led us this week in what the church and he call holy conferencing, a process of conversation designed to help us understand one another. General Conference is the meeting every four years of the entire United Methodist denomination. Many folks who attended the General Conference in 2012 came home feeling as if they'd been virtually beaten up by the mean-spirited ways that conflict in the denomination played out. This week at Annual Conference, I had folks who had been through that comment that if the General Conference had taken the time to teach and lead Dr. Law's principles of holy conferencing, it might have been a much better experience for all. When I first began attending annual conference, one of my primary impressions was of the diversity of annual conference. I am accustomed to that now, but trying to remember what it was like to go in with fresh eyes, I remember that more than anything. This year at annual conference, we heard scripture read in multiple languages, were blessed by the music of a Fijian choir, and were led in all our worship services by musician and worship leader Ari Lee, who is Korean-born and who is the worship leader at the Chinese community, United Methodist Church in Oakland. At annual conference, we worked together with leaders and church representatives from Tongan and Fijian congregations, from Korean and Japanese and Hmong and Filipino and Chinese congregations from Hispanic and Native American congregations, from African American congregations. It is beautiful to have such a diversity of voices and faces when we gather together. In the clergy session, I saw more glimpses of the beloved community. The clergy session is the part of our conference when the clergy uh, gathered together to do certain business. I learned about the ministry of newly ordained Allison Hendley, who has done some hard-hitting work to get a response from law enforcement to sex trafficking in Marin County after being told initially that there is no problem with sex trafficking in Marin County. I was particularly impressed by a report on theological education that exhorted us all, United Methodist pastors, to become literate in the diverse faith traditions of today's United States and to commit ourselves to building interfaith partnerships that are based on a deep respect and valuing of non-Christian faiths. Even the bishop's sermon during the service where new ministers were ordained into Christian ministry lifted up God's love for people of all faiths and reminded us to value and work at interfaith relationships. I saw glimpses of the beloved community in how our annual conference continues to make strides to be more inclusive, of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered persons. Our own church council signed a resolution submitted to annual conference, which you may remember hearing about, that highlights the contradictions in our United Methodist rules, our rules called the discipline. On one hand, our discipline urges us to be inclusive of all people in our ministries, including people of any sexual orientation. On the other hand, our discipline contains laws that discriminate. This resolution petitioned our annual conference that when these conflicts in the discipline arise between inclusion and exclusion, that we would err on the side of inclusion and therefore not bring charges against clergy whose ministries are consistent with the inclusive mandates of the discipline, 
but may violate the exclusionary laws, such as the rule against same-sex weddings. And this resolution passed our annual conference. For me, something even more striking was the work our Board of Ordained Ministry has done in, uh, that has resulted in a real breakthrough on their policy on how to handle issues of sexual orientation in the ordination process. In the United Methodist Church, our Board of Ordained Ministry has the authority to grant or deny ordination to those hoping to serve as pastors. After much dialogue and work this year, the Board of Ordained Ministry developed a policy. It includes this statement. We recognize that throughout the history of our denomination, groups have been excluded from ordination, such as women, people of color, and the divorced. Currently, the Book of Discipline denies ordination because of sexual orientation. We are called to inclusive ministry with all believers, and we recognize the contradiction within the Book of Discipline related to the inclusion of all persons. Therefore, we will not consider matters related to sexual orientation or gender identity in preparing and recommending candidates for ordained ministry. The document goes on to describe the plan for the work of the Board of Ordained Ministry. Any persons having been called by God to set apart ministry from within the body of believers, affirmed by the church and fully assessed as having gifts and graces for ministry, will be considered for commissioning and ordination without regard to sexual orientation or gender identity. Now, this is not just a the intention or aspiration of that body, this is the policy now of our Board of Ordained Ministry. Before going to the Board of Ordained Ministry, our candidates for ministry uh, are screened by their district committee on ordained ministry, and part of the Board of Ordained Ministry's implementation plan for this new policy is to educate every district committee on how to treat candidates in the ordination process so they will not be excluded on the basis of their sexual orientation. This is a huge change. This is a huge step forward here. Our annual conference session, in the midst of boring business, displays many glimpses of the beloved community. Much of this comes through the diversity and inclusiveness that shows through and in many victories for advocates of justice. We are a progressive annual conference. And at the same time, participating in annual conference, I found myself remembering how much I value being church together with folks I disagree with, including some of my most conservative colleagues who I connected with again this week. I value brothers and sisters who see the world differently from how I see it. And I cherish the hope that we will continue to come together. That's part of diversity and inclusion also. And it's a loss if we forget that. It's a victory if we continue to relate to one another and strive to be loving in the midst of difference. This picture of annual conference is a glimpse of something you all are a part of. We aren't quite the beloved community, not the wider church, and not here in Davis, but we offer precious glimpses. So as we continue to shape the ministries of this church, let's remember that we have a rich community of partners, 
partners we can learn from as we reach out in ministry to those who are on the margins or those who are different from ourselves. Thanks be to God. Amen.